Heavenly Father, um, we were singing how worthy is your son, and uh, we never want to lose sight of that. We want to never forget the idea that God was made flesh, and he walked among us, and then he took our sins upon himself, our judgment, what we deserved, and then he gave us life. And in him, and because of him, we have access before you anytime. We are loved and, and appreciated and desired by you. And it's all because of him. So yeah, he is worthy, Lord. He is worthy to be lifted up. And that's why I, I dared this morning to come and take one of his words, one of his teachings, and share it to your congregation. And, and we are at the feet of Jesus like beggars for just a few crumbs coming down from him. We want to hear what he has to say, and we want to devour these crumbs. We want it to change us, to feed us, to transform us. We come as these beggars because we recognize that we are weak and we are selfish and we are sinners and we are in need of your grace and your spirit to work in us. Then none of us can leave here saying, I'm going to do this. We're all going to leave here saying, Lord, help me please because I want to live this. Lord, we want to we thank you for your precious word. The fact that you, you know, wrote it, you protected it, and you brought, us in, brought it in our hands like today. And, and we don't want to take it for granted that God has spoken. He has revealed himself. He didn't leave us in a vacuum, leave us to you know, search for ourselves. You, you gave us the way. You gave us the light. And, and we want to pick it up right now. We want to hope to be guided by you. So be, be with the preacher. Be with his tongue, with his mind. And, and let it be your words, oh Lord. Let it be the words of Christ being heard. Because that's what we need. That's what my brothers and sisters need right now. And, and, and so, yeah, I'm coming as a beggar as well, saying, please don't let me preach my ideas, but please let me preach Christ and only Christ. And so we, we come to you in, in, in this manner, Lord, knowing that you are with the contrite and broken heart. You are the, ones, the one that is with those who are in need, um, and you answer us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Word of God is a sharp, two-edged sword. And certain passages can even cut your fingers off. Maybe even used to hurt other people. The passage before us today, John 15, 1-8, I believe is one of those passages. I don't, I don't say this to be sensational, to grab your attention. But because through this passage, some well-intentioned teachers have thought that you could lose your salvation if you don't do enough creating fear in the hearts of believers. Other more devotional teachers have taken that little expression, abide in me, and created a whole system by which you can do that. And other not very well-intentioned teachers have taken one phrase and one verse about asking whatever you want and say, there you go, blank check, God will give you what you want. I'm not here to say they're wrong and I'm right. I'm the expert, far from being an expert. I do rely on these experts, past and present, I rely on the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and I rely on those three little rules when you approach the Word of God. Context, context, and context. That every phrase, every verse is in the context of a passage. You can't just pluck it out to make it say whatever you want. That there's always a greater passage connected to the passage you're in. Like we are right now in the upper room discourse. That's what chapter 15 is in. 
And we've been seeing that Christ is bringing the focus of his disciples on him. Believe in me. That's the point. I am the truth, the life, and the way. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's all about him. So if you forget that, when you move to John 15, you miss something. And of course, there's a greater context, the word itself, the scriptures, the canon, the Bible, that the Bible interprets the Bible. Through these little rules, I think we can enter this passage and make more sense out of it. Now, I think it'd be good for us to actually read it before we enter into it. And I would like to ask us one more time if you would stand, please, for the reading of God's word. So John 15, verse 1 to 8. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in you, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Thank you. You may be seated. I wonder in this if you've heard the song that Jesus was actually playing for his disciples. Yeah. He was playing certain notes over and over again hitting certain keys on the spectrum from one side to the other. Here's what I mean. It's not working, guys. Thank you. As you probably can see, verse 1 and verse 5 go together. Next one. Verse 2 and verse 6. Next one. Verse 3 and verse 7. Next one, verse 4 is the middle section, the chorus, if you will, of the song. Thanks. And then you have verse 8 and 1, which is like the crescendo in which those two notes together exalt the Lord. That's what I mean by a little musical song, a little melody that he's playing for us. And I hope that we'll see it together as we move along. Well, we start with that, oh, I forgot the repeated part. Yeah, show it. Yeah, the, the repeated note, right? Abide, repeated over and over again, and fruit that's supposed to be manifested by the abiding. Now it brings us to that first note that we want to play together, verse 1. Thank you. I am the true vine. Let's stop here for a minute. Because this isn't just Jesus looking outside the window, seeing a vineyard and saying, hey, that's a good image I could use. No, he's the living word. He is speaking from the Old Testament to us to them right now. Through Ezekiel, through Jeremiah, through Isaiah, again and again, God uses the image of a vine when he talks about Israel. 
How they, they were supposed to bring forth a fruit that would be like a delicious nectar for God, but instead he got sour grapes, a wild vine that would not produce for him, creating frustration instead. Here's Jesus saying, I am the true vine, right? I am the true Israel. See, this is why uh, the Jewish nation to this day, when they look at the prophetic passages in the Old Testament, and they see how Israel is going to take over, they think, well, we're going to conquer. No, it's the Messiah, the representation of Israel, who's going to take over because he's the true vine. You see, the image of a vine is useful for many reasons, and one of them being that if you've probably seen vines take to ten take over, right? They take the grow and take a lot of space. That's what was the call for Israel. They weren't supposed to just take over Canaan. They were supposed to bring the glory of the Lord upon the world, but they didn't even bring it on Canaan. And so here's the true vine. Here's the Lord himself who through his disciples is going to bring the glory of God upon the earth because he's going to restore the image in God and send them all over. In that sense, he's the source. He's that true vine. So I hope you're hearing this note that's focused upon the work of Christ, because the next note is very similar when we move on to the next part of the verse. And my father is the vine dresser. As John Piper says, this idea of, of the father is the vine dresser is what englobes, it's the umbrella that covers the entirety of the passage. If you don't realize that it's all about God's sovereign, providential work on his vineyard, then you're going to make the whole passage about you and what you do. But it's not about you. It's about God. You see, it's all about the true vine and the father doing his work. That's what the passage is about. It is his sovereign, providential work upon the vineyard. And we continue to see that, and it should echo in our minds yeah, when we enter this part here, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, that's scary because it seems like he's going to remove us if we don't bear fruit. But here's the thing, though. Thanks, Carol. That little expression, takes away. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Um, <laughs> Thanks, guys. Takes away could mean remove, okay? But it could also mean lift up, as in expose more to the sun and its healing rays. The question is, which one is it? And I'm not a great expert in any way, shape, or form, but I can read the Bible. So I'm going to keep reading the verse. And it says, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Now, it's two branches. They have different ways. One Bears fruit, one does it. But both have one objective, that it may bear more fruit. But keep note of that triple note here, bear more fruit. It, it's going to come back around in the song later on. But for now, both branches must bear more fruit. So on one side, it needs to get pruned. So what would be the other side? Well, maybe it's to get more of the grace of the Lord, the mercy of God, to be lifted up, especially more tender care and mercy of, the, of God, while the other, who has fruit and pride to go with it, might need to get pruned a little bit. But either way, the whole point of verse 2 is what? God will make sure these branches bear fruit. His sovereign, providential work 
to make sure they bear more fruit. This needs to keep echoing in our mind. It's all about God. And it continues to be when you get to verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I, Jesus, have spoken to you. It's all about his word. Which word? Glad you asked. Chapter 14, we saw it. Believe in me. Right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. That even when the devil comes to put a spotlight on him, it's going to be the show that the son loves the father perfectly. That word that we could call the gospel, that's what made them clean. And that idea of being clean should bring us back to chapter 13, right? Taking the, the wholeness of the, of the Bible to understand what's going on. I won't read it, but you probably know it, right? Jesus gets on his knees, washes the feet of the disciples. When he gets to good old Peter, Peter says, no. And then Jesus has to explain, no, I, I need to wash your feet so you can follow me. Well, then wash all of me because Peter's so spiritual. And that's when Jesus says, what? You're already clean. All but the son of perdition, of course. All but Judas. You are already clean. Same kind of idea here. And it's all because of the word that he's giving them. This washing word. This gospel word. And what's interesting is in the Greek, the word uh, take away and prune and clean. It's a little play on words. They're very similar how they sound. So they, you would kind of hear a similar note playing again and again. And all that note is playing is God's going to do that. God's going to do that. God's going to do that. Hopefully it's still fresh in our mind because when we get to the chorus and we get to that action that we have to do, that commandment that's given to us, you have a tendency of thinking, I have to do. But no, God's doing it. God's doing it. God's doing it. And then we get, abide in me and I in you. Now, before we try to define what abiding means, don't miss that little and. We miss those little words. We shouldn't. That little and means both expressions are connected together. And we should ask, how are they connected together? What is abiding in me and I in you? How do they go together? I will not bore you with the details of every possibility of what and could mean, but I will tell you the two main ones that, relied, that are connected to the text right now. The first one being, do to get. You do your part, I do mine. You abide in me, and then I can abide in you. The problem is, that makes it all about you. And I've been saying, no, it's all about God. So kind of, it's a new song we're playing here. Well, what's the other possibility? Glad you asked. Sip of water first. The other possibility would be the two sides of the same coin. You abiding in me is the same thing as me abiding in you. In other words, in theological terms, sanctification goes with justification. Or if you prefer, regeneration goes with justification. We saw it in chapter 14. He talked about the Spirit coming to live in them, and that would be Christ in them and them in him. It, it's not separated. Salvation knows no two parts. It knows only one reality. We all know John 3, 16, right? You got to believe to be saved. We forget that verse 16 is in chapter 3. What I mean is Jesus starts the chapter by saying, a man must be born again 
to enter the kingdom. He doesn't say a man must believe. He says you must be born again. But then he says it's about believing because it's the two sides of the same coin. You are born again and you are believing in, in the same time, not separately. It comes together. On the one side, you could say it's you are covered in his righteousness and that righteousness enters into you and changes your will and desires and your want-tos. Or you can see the other around. God gives you a new heart. He removes the veil and you see the beauty of Christ and you want to grab him for yourself. But it's one full action, not separated. It comes together. Now we can ask, what does abiding in me mean? Well, according to many devotional writers, which I enjoy them a lot. According to them, it's all about this relationship with Christ you have to have. You have to pray a lot and spend time in the Word and have a long time with Jesus and serve in the church. And those are all great things. I don't believe that what abiding means. You see, the word abiding could also be translated as stay, remain. In French, demeurer. Very passive, right? But where do we stay? You stay at the cross. You stay at the cross where you are crucified with him and resurrected in him. You remain in that truth. He is my righteousness and he is living in me to make me righteous. You remain in that truth. And here's where the rest of scripture will help us out. You see, books like Colossians, Ephesians, Romans, in those sections that we like to call doctrinal, the doctrines, all tell us the truth you are in Christ. It is your identity. You must recognize this before you start putting to death and putting on. This must be what you swim in, you drenched in, you baptize yourself in before anything else happens. Again, biding in me is about staying focused on believing in, putting your trust in the gospel, the cross, Christ. And that reality will give you a new heart because, again, it's not separated. It's not, I'm believing, but nothing's happening. No, that doesn't happen. Jesus just promised it. Like I said, the rest of Scripture tells us the same thing. Here's a good example of that. 1 Corinthians 15, that passage about resurrection and all the power thereof. He says, for as in Adam all die. Stop here a second. What did you do to be born? What did you do to be born in Adam? Nothing. You were just born. You don't have the power to born yourself. And as you all know, um, the number one cause of death, right? The one thing to be sure that all human beings will die is that you're born. Because we're all born in Adam. It's not something you do. It just, you are. It says, so also, right? In the same way, in Christ shall all be made alive. Not in Christ, if you have a good relationship with him, have devotional time with him, then you'll be made alive. No, shall. It's a reality. You are in Christ, you will be made alive. Are you in Christ? Are you abiding in that truth? It sounds very passive, I know. But be careful, it's not let go and let God. That's not what Jesus just said. No, because it's walking on that tightrope, that narrow way of Jesus, where you could easily be pulled on one side or the other. On one side, you got the flesh, 
the world and the devil trying to pull you into sin and make you focus on your uselessness and forget that, yeah, but it's, it's about what he did, not me. But on the other side, you got everything you are doing, your faithfulness, your spirituality, how amazing you are. And then, whoops, you forget that that's self-righteousness. That all those good deeds that you're doing, without the blood of Christ, they're filthy rags to God. See, like I said, it's a balancing act that you have to continue to be pulled one side or the other to stay down on that reality. So it's not passive that way. But it, in a sense, it is because it's, it's all about Christ, not about you. And he continues to explain that when we get back to the verse. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. What does a branch have to do to abide? I mean, other than it's there. It's, it's a branch. It doesn't have to focus and concentrate. You know, I get my shot devotion time with the vine so it doesn't, you know, I don't fall off or something. No, it, it just is its reality. I am the branch. The vine is the one that's the source of life. And that's what Jesus is getting at. Neither can you unless you abide in me. If your focus is not on the fact that I did it all on the cross and that life-giving power is in you by me, you're not going to do anything. You're going to be useless. Now, he's continuing on this focus of himself, just in case you think it's my opinion against many others, by saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. Do you see kind of the hard note Jesus is hitting right here? I'm the life, you're just a branch. You know how useless a branch is by itself? It's wood, burn it. And, and they even say that the branches from a vine, you can't even use it in a fire. It, it's actually useless. That's what he's saying to them. You guys are useless without me. Without what I'm going to do on the cross, you are nothing. Ouch, Jesus. And he's going to keep hitting some hard notes, actually. First, he's going to say, whoever abides in me and I knew. Remember, it's not you must do to get. It's, it is your reality. You are in me. I am in you. He it is that bears much fruit. Remember those three notes from before? Bear more fruit. Bear much fruit. Bear abundant fruit, it's really about that bearing, right? Those three little notes that keep playing in our heads. But here's the problem. There's also a hard note in there. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This should make us stop for a second and for me to take a glass of water. But for us to think, wait a second, I know some very faithful serving religious people in different religions. They're evangelizing, they're praying, they're doing stuff, they're doing good deeds. How can you say they're not doing nothing? Because they're not in me. I can even bring it closer to home within the Christian circles. People doing some good deeds, faithfully serving, casting out demons, doing miracles. And yet at some point they might hear uh, from the Lord, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. All of that, to use his words here, it's nothing, guys, because it's not from abiding in me. It's not that trust of saying, I died at the cross. Christ lived through me now. It's not just using the name of Jesus. It's dying at the name of Jesus. Like I said, it, it's a hard note. So it's a good thing that after this, Jesus starts playing a nicer melody to finish it all up. And uh, he tells us, oh, I forgot that note. <laughs> 
I forgot there's a tum tum tum. Yeah, because he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. I, I know I passed that a bit like a joke, but all the commentators I were checking, people who really know the Greek, were saying these words that he's using, there's no way to escape it. He's talking about eternal punishment. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. It's the same language Jesus uses in his parables when he talks about going to Kahana or going to hell. That's what he's saying about these branches. That should make us stand up or sit straight or at least focus for a minute saying, wait, I don't want to be that branch now. Okay, well, which branch is it? If anyone does not abide in me. See, this is why the definition of abiding means everything. If you define abide by having your prayer time with Jesus and serving in the church, what happens when you pray a bit less? When you serve a bit less, you start drifting away, thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, gonna to go to hell now. I'm going to lose my salvation. But if abiding is all about Christ did it all, and I'm putting all my confidence in what he did at the cross, that I'm staying at that cross, I'm digging my nails in saying, that's my only hope, then there is no fear right now. And yet this passage is meant to bring a certain questioning, a certain fear, a certain um, be careful type of situation, a bit like the book of Hebrews. Now, I know it's not a door I should open, but I'm going to do it anyways. See, the, the book of Hebrews, which kind of takes this subject and goes a bit further with it, is misunderstood when you don't look at the context as well. Right? It's, it's a man writing to Hebrew church, and they're going through severe persecution, What's happening is some of these people are starting to go back to Judaism, saying, you know, just in case, I I'm going to go back to the sacrificial system. Just in case that day of atonement thing where our sacrifices or our sins are covered for a year, doesn't sound too bad. I'll get the Jesus thing, but just in case. And that's why this whole book is about focusing back on Christ, saying forget those things, get your focus back on him. He is the accomplishment of all these things. That's why chapter 10 talks about the fact that if you are rejecting the blood of Christ as your only hope, well, there is no more sacrifice for you. You could put gallons of animal blood all you want. It doesn't mean anything if it's not fully and totally putting your confidence in the blood of Christ alone. That's why chapter 6 seems to be showing somebody who's a new believer, but he's not because there's no fruit. It's like we saw, if you truly are abiding in Christ, he will be abiding in you. There's not you must do to get, it is. So he might have experienced something, this person, might have tasted of the Spirit in some way, understood something, but at the end of the day, he's not abiding in Christ. That's his only hope of salvation, because Christ is not abiding in him. So yeah, if that's the case, if that's you, you should be afraid of this verse. Seriously. We should be taking this seriously because it's not just about saying you're a believer. It's not about going to church. It's not even about proclaiming the name of Jesus. It's, is it your only trust, your only hope for salvation before a Holy Father? If it is, you're not that branch. Now we get to a bit more of a positive note. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, and before we get that little blessing that comes with it, I just want to focus on what he says here because he's hitting the same notes again. But are you paying attention and realizing he's doing two notes at the same time? I mean, he's 
told us before that the word is what cleanses them. So we know that note. The word made them clean. But then he said, I abide in you. That's another note. I abide in you. Now he's saying the word abides in you. Wait a second. I thought it was Jesus abides in me and the word cleans me. And now he's playing them together. Because Christ is the living word. Because Christ living in you is his truth living through you. Right? It's his word renewing your mind and your heart and your affections and your desires. As he told them, when the Spirit comes, you're going to do miracles. No, 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 no. When the Spirit comes, he's going to teach you all things. Because it, it's all about the word being in you. And you see, this idea of the word being in you is helping us more and more understand that abiding is about trusting in the gospel fully and completely. Because he said these things before. If you remain, abide, stay, same word, in my word. Interesting, right? Not in me, in my word. You will truly be my disciples, and you will come to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's interesting how you remain in the word, but you'll get to know the truth. The word is the truth. Why is it, it seems like it's two parts? Because it's the two aspects of the same coin again, right? You are remaining in the word, and the word is remaining in you. And you get to know the truth, and truth sets you free. You are in the gospel, and the gospel changes you. Different ways of saying the same thing over and over again. That's what Jesus is doing. Hopefully, it's starting to you know, ring in our heads. We're going to be living here singing that little song. It's all about Jesus. And if that's the case, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, you see, Brother Martin, right here, it's a blank check. Whatever you want, he says, whatever you wish, and it will be done. God promised it. God keeps his promises. You got to ask it. Sorry if I make fun a bit, but you kind of forget what comes before then, don't you? If, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Here's the thing. If your main focus is on the cross where the beautiful son of God died for you, took the cup of wrath for you, made you holy, and it comes to live in you, this son who only lives for the father, and what you wish for is stuff, you're not abiding in him. I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that in a simpler way. When you contemplate that love given to you upon the cross, that then comes live in you to love the Father, then the only thing you wish for, the only thing you desire, is for the Father to be glorified. It's for the Son to be magnified. And if that's the case, then yeah, you're going to get whatever you want. You're going to get it for sure. It will be done for you. That is a promise. Because what you want is what God wants as well. You see, this is the crescendo note I was talking about. By this, my Father is glorified. See, it's like, it's like that first note we played. It, it might have sounded differently, but it, it's not. See, when he said that he's the vine dress of the Father, his sovereign providential care of his vineyard, God does all things for his glory. He was playing the same note. You just didn't recognize it. It's all about God glorifying himself. And this is how he's going to do it. That you, that triple note again, bear more much fruit. Bear more fruit, bear abundant fruit. And so prove to be my disciple. So when they bring you before the synagogue, they will say, you've been with Jesus because you're exalting his name above every other name because he's everything for you. 
Exactly. But be careful. This isn't about going to court and proving you're a disciple because that's your works. See, it's not the fruit of Martin. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not about how temperate I can be or how much I can be kind and nice and loving. It's about the Spirit through me. So he gets the glory, not me. So this is what the abiding part gives us. This is why, like I said, it's not about let go and let God where you fall into one of the uh, two ultras. Ultra passivity. Well, if it's all about God doing stuff, then I don't, it's okay if I don't really read the Bible that much, if I don't really pray that much. Get a little bitterness in here, a little bit of anxiety. You know, God's going to take care of that. Yes. But just maybe there's something stuck in there, right? If there's no fruit coming out, you should get that checked. But there's also that ultra activity. Well, then I'm going to fast more and do all kinds of program and serve in every kind of way. Then I'm going to be more faithful and bring more fruit. No, nope. you just plant yourself at the cross. That's it. And like I said, it's not passivity where there's no effort involved because there is that struggle. And maybe you're at a place in your Christian life where, now nah, I got this down. Well, I'm not there. I still struggle when sin gets into my life and I start feeling useless. And I start thinking, I'm not good enough. And then I'm pointing right back to the cross and saying, you're not good enough. He is. You're loved because of him, not because of what you did or not did. But also, on the other side, I'm a fiery Christian. I'm a prayer warrior. I'm a great preacher. No, you're not. You're in Christ Jesus. That's what you are. That's your identity. When you start forgetting that, that's when you need to get yourself back in the middle and realize it's all about him. Yeah, but it sounds, you know, like not concrete enough. Could you give us something concrete for the week, Martin? Okay, I will. Don't forget that other imperative. Ask, right? Ask. I'm going to be a bit general in my statement, so I apologize, but I do believe that for the most case, us Christians, we kind of give up on prayer way too quickly. We do not pray without ceasing. We like and we give lip service to the words of Christ about, you know, seeking and knocking and we'll get. And we love that parable about this idea that, you know, this uh, unjust judge, if you keep asking, God will give you. And we say yes and amen, and we don't do it. No, we need to be persevering in this prayer. Lord, you got to make me more like Jesus, whatever the cost. Wait, 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 whatever the cost, Martin? Yeah, because you know that he's good that he loves you, that he wants what's best for you, that he's just, that he's wise. And because your wish, your desire more and more is to be like Christ, is for him to be glorified. So yeah, whatever the cost, Lord, please untangle this sin that so enwraps me. And you know what? While you're at it, show me those weights that I need to remove because they're slowing me down. Don't let me have blind spots about that. Don't let me convince myself it's okay when it's not. Remove those things, Lord. Let me run naked looking at Christ, the author and finisher of my faith, as he gave up everything to run for the, for the Father. But at the same time, Lord, prune. Prune that pride in me. Prune that self-righteousness in me, that great morality in me. I don't want people to see my good deeds. What I want is for them to see Christ in me, the hope of glory. And I know that I can't do that by myself because I'm selfish, so I'm not going to do it right. So you, you got to do that, Lord. That, that's more concrete, right? Pray this week for God to do that. And pray without ceasing, of course.
Let us start right now. Heavenly Father, um, once again, we are in awe of the words of your Son. I mean, we, we spent just a few minutes. I spent a few hours studying it, and it's still not enough. There are depths of depth of depth to what he said. And to stop and think and to realize that he did it all, to know that it's, it's his work on the cross and it's his work in us, it could be scary, but it would help us walk this tightrope. Let us walk in this idea of just he did it all and he's doing it all. Lord, let us walk in this abiding, in this trusting, in this surrender. You did it all, Lord. And we're going to forget that. We're going to forget it this week, Lord, when we get busy and we start doing stuff and feeling we're not doing enough and we're going to do more stuff. We're going to forget about abiding. We're going to forget about Christ did it all. We're going to forget about just being at the cross. Please bring us back to our good shepherd again and again. Lord, do the work in us. Sanctify us by the washing of your word. Transform us by your spirit that it will be his fruit through us. We are just the branches. Prune what needs to be pruned and, and lift up what needs to be lifted up. But yeah, Lord, we want to bear more fruit. And that's what we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.